Well, I hope all of you had uh, a great day today. Uh, tonight, we uh, I'm going to crack open this Red Bull, and we're going to get uh, chugging along. Uh, and we're going to start out a brand new series tonight. I'm so excited. I just wanted some extra energy. So I'm going to drink this Red Bull uh, throughout the night. That way I have enough energy to keep up with y'all. And we just have a really good time together. Diving in to the book of Matthew. Oh, yeah. All right. So we are starting a new series tonight called Counting the Cost. Uh, and this whole series is to look at what the true cost of being a disciple is. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times, uh, Christians, we tend to expect that as we enter into a relationship with Christ, like things are just going to be great. Things are going to be so just happy uh, and sunshine and roses. But throughout this series, uh, we're going to actually look at what is required of us now that we're marked by God, that we've been chosen, we have a purpose, what is expected of us, and what comes along with those expectations. I'm just going to tell you up front, for the next month, this is not going to be a happy series. This is going to be a series where if we're being honest with ourselves, and honest with ourselves as believers, this should be challenging for you. You should walk away every week going, man, I feel challenged. Man, as a believer, I need to step up my game. And, and so I, I really hope that as we go through this series that you'll be honest with yourself, that you, you'll listen, you, you'll focus in, because what we're going to discover through this whole series, the overall theme, yes, is, you know, what are the costs of being a disciples, but you're going to discover that following Christ, and when you're following the Lord, you wear a cross and not a crown. When you're following the Lord, you're going to discover through this series that we wear a cross instead of a crown. Now, before we can jump in to uh, counting the cost of being a disciple and talking about what's required uh, of being a disciple, we need to understand what exactly we're supposed to be doing. Uh, and, and so, like I said, this whole month, we're primarily going to be in the book of Matthew. We'll hit a couple other scriptures that kind of will help us look at the book of Matthew. Uh, but to start out, Matthew uh, does a great job of telling us what our job is. And he quotes Jesus in Matthew 28. Uh, if you have your Bible, Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Really famous verse. It's called the Great Commission. And this is, this is what is required of us. So, again, Matthew 28. 19 through 20, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I think through, leading, or through reading this, we could all agree that our calling is to go and make disciples. But not just to stop there, but to go and baptize them. But then not even to stop there, but to go and teach them. And, and I think we could all agree that as disciples, as followers of Christ, we were exposed to the gospel and we are exposed to Christ, either at youth or in your family or by a friend. You were exposed and you were taught. And that is how you became a follower of Christ is because someone faithfully followed the Lord and taught you. But it's through this same 
teaching that I think we begin to feel tension. Through teaching about God in the Great Commission, I, I personally, I think we start to find tension because what should we have been taught? And what should we be teaching? It says it very clearly. Teach these new disciples to obey. Teach these disciples to obey all of my commands. So what should we be teaching? What should you have been taught? Plain and simple, to obey God. And it's here that naturally we find tension. Because think of it this way. Think about obeying your parents. Think about obeying your parents. Think about obeying your teachers. Think about obeying anyone. It's great. As long as it fits with your plan, it's great. And there's sometimes where obeying someone does fit with your plan. And you're like, okay, I got no problem obeying you on this because it fits with what I want to. But then all of a sudden they ask you to do something, like go clean your room instead of going out with your friends. And all of a sudden it doesn't match up with your plan. All of a sudden obeying isn't convenient for you anymore. And all of a sudden obeying, you don't want to do it. It's causing you tension. And it's the same way with God. God asks us to do things, and it, it's okay for us as long as it matches our plan, as long as it matches what we want to do, as long as we're comfortable doing it. But then as soon as God says, mm, I want you to do something different, I want you to do something that's going to change the way you do things, Hey, I want you to do something, and it's going to make you feel uncomfortable at first because you're not used to doing it. All of a sudden, we don't like to do it. And so we stick with our own plan. We stick with our own patterns, and we make sure we're as comfortable as we can be. But the truth is, when we're a disciple of Christ, it's going to cost us three, three different things. And the first thing I want to look at tonight that is going to cost you, being a disciple is going to cost you your plan. And there, there's a reason why I put this one first. A very clear reason. Because I think it's right here where we lose the majority of people. This is the one thing that I think people just say, nope. We've grown up in a Burger King society where you can just have it your way and that's what you want. That it's the honest truth. But I want you to look at Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 26. Luke chapter 14, 25 through 26. Listen to this. A large crowd was following Jesus. And he turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, I want to I be very clear here. Jesus says something that we all grew up being told, don't do, don't say. He says hate. And, you know, I always grew up, my mom said, we don't say hate, 
we say strongly dislike. Yeah, see, y'all know. Allison, who's my sister, I'd, I'd go up to her and say, Allison, I strongly dislike you right now. But Jesus isn't telling people to hate. He's not telling them to hate. Uh, he, he's saying here, hate by comparison. And there's a difference here, and we're going to unpack this. What he is saying is that your love for God needs to be so much bigger and so much different that if I were to compare my love for God and my love for others, someone might think that I hate others because of how much I love God. If you're using the standard of my love for God and comparing it to my love for others, Jesus is saying there needs to be such a difference between the way you love me and the amount that you love me versus everyone else that one could question if you hate people. He's not saying go and hate people. He's saying love people, but you need to be loving me so much more. And here's why this is important, and here's how this fits in with your plan and, and with my plan. See, with Scripture, we need to remember who Jesus is talking to. As we read, we need to look at the context and the background. And Jesus here is talking to Jews. And in the Jewish culture, the, the family that you were born into meant a lot. It really set up your entire life. See, the Jews uh, were considered the sons of Abraham. And, and for them, that meant that they were God's chosen people and that they, I mean, they thought they were just much better than everyone else because of this. And so they got a lot of status out of their family. And so Jesus is telling them, I know you find a lot of worth and you make a lot of plans based on how your life has been set up. And you make a lot of plans based on the family that you've grown up in. But here's the thing. Do you want my promise or your plan? See, we, we could flip it and make it more modern for ourselves, and we could say, you know, Jesus could be sitting here saying, look, I know you make decisions and plans based on what you think is popular and cool and what you think is ultimately going to set you up for the best, most successful life. And I know you make plans in your life, and you do things based on this. But do you want my promise or your plan? It's going to cost you your plan if you want God's promises. Plain and simple. It's going to cost us our plan in order to receive God's promises. Let me give you a little newsflash real quick. Your plans in life are not always going to match God's. You know why? Because if your plans in life always matched God's, you could be God. Wow. If your plans always matched the plans of God's, you would be God. You'd be God. Wow. But here's the thing. You're not God. You're not God. And so you know what? Your plans are not always going to match the plans of God. Sometimes they will. When we're seeking God, sometimes our plans will match his plans, but not always. 
But as Christians, we've developed this sense of as long as following. In other words, we'll follow God and we'll follow God's plan for our life as long as blank. You know, when I was in college, um, I dated a girl for uh, two years, just about. And look, I had a plan. I had gone into college before I even met her, and I said, you know what? Seems like a pretty nice plan is to go to college and get engaged uh, spring of senior year and get married out of college. That seems like a nice plan. Seems like a great plan. And let me tell you, a lot of people had that same plan in college. Um, <laughs> but that didn't happen. That was clearly not God's plan. Clearly. But that was something really hard for me. And frankly, I was really mad. But I had to ask myself, do I want my plan? Because clearly my plan is not going to work. Or do I want God's promises? You know, God was teaching me something through that. He was teaching me that in that season, after that relationship ended, through my entire senior year, he called me to be single. <laughs> he called me to be single my entire senior year, and I really, I really didn't like it. I really fought with God on that. But God was teaching me something here, and he was saying, look, the only reason that you're trying to be in a relationship right now, the only reason that you're trying to date is because you're trying to fill a void. You're trying to feel loved. You're trying to feel accepted. You're trying to feel valued. You're trying to fill this void in your life where I belong, where my love belongs. And he was teaching me that if I would learn to accept the love of God in my life and not rely on the love of someone else to fill that void, that when it does come time for me to enter into a relationship, I'll be able to bring something so much more to the table than just emotional feelings. So much more than emotional feelings. Because when you don't know, when you're searching for emotional acceptance, when you're searching for love and acceptance, and you're trying to find worth and value in someone else, all you can bring to the table is emotional feelings. It's true. Because what are you looking for? You're looking for that emotional acceptance. And how do you receive emotional acceptance? When you give your emotions. But that's not what God intended in relationships. God intended for us to serve one another. To serve one another and to better the other person. And so God was saying, look, if you'll just learn to accept my love and my worth and my value that I've already given to you, you bring so, something so much more to the table than just emotional feelings. You know, I see this a lot with the church nowadays, this sense of as long as following. It, it, it's turned up, and, and I'm so glad that my, look, my parents, they told me, and, and their rule was, your butt is going to church. You're grounded, you're going to church. And then, you know what, the whole time you're at church, you're going to know you're grounded, and you're going to come home, and you're still going to be grounded. You got homework? Tough. You should have done it earlier. Guess you're staying up a little later tonight. Are you going to be tired tomorrow? Too bad. But you're going to church. 
You want to sleep in on Sunday? Too bad. You're going to church. Get up. But we've turned into this as long as. As long as going to church doesn't keep me from sports. As long as, uh, you know, I'll go to church as, as long as I don't have homework. I'll go to church as, as long as so-and-so isn't there because, look, we got beef right now, and I ain't going to church if they're there. Yeah, I've heard that one a couple couple too many times. As, as Christians, we have started seeing church and God as obstacles in our life. We have started seeing church and God as obstacles to our plans. And because we see church and we see God as obstacles, we've adapted following God on an as-long-as basis. God, I'll follow you as long as it's convenient for me and as long as I get to keep doing what I want to do. But if we're going to be true disciples of Jesus, it's going to cost you your plans. And it's tough, I know. It's tough. No one wants to give up their plans. The Israelites in in Joshua didn't want to give up their plans. They had a plan. And instead, they marched around in the desert for 40 years. But what ended up happening? God brought them into the promised land on his timing and on his plan and on his terms. And they defeated everyone they came across. People they never should have defeated. But they went on God's plan and on God's timing and on God's terms. And it worked out so much better for them. It's going to cost us our plan in order to receive his promises. But here's what else it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your patterns. Being a disciple will cost you your pattern. In order to follow Christ and in order to accept his plan, I'm just going to be honest with you, you may have to give up your way of doing things. The things you do, you might have to stop. You might have to give up. And again, here's where we lose a lot of people. Maybe some of us have accepted, okay, yeah, you know, I'll I'll give up my plan for your plan, God. Because your plan is good and your promises are good, but I don't want to give up what I'm doing. But our plan and our way of doing things and our patterns are pretty closely linked together. You know, we we wonder why sometimes when we're trying to follow God, like, we keep taking steps and we get nowhere. We get nowhere. And let me tell you something. If you're trying to follow God's plan by keeping your patterns, you won't get anywhere. You will go nowhere. You are going to walk on what I'm going to call the treadmill of faith. You're going to walk on the treadmill of faith. You are going to keep walking, and you're going to feel like you're just taking step after step after step toward God, but you're not going anywhere. Nothing in your life is getting better. You're not stepping into God's plan because you're walking on the treadmill of faith. When we won't give up our patterns, we are walking on this treadmill. You're walking. You're walking. You're walking. If you ever walked on a treadmill, yeah, you run a mile, but you've literally gone nowhere. 
that's what so many of us are doing. Look, I've been there. But you will not go anywhere. You will not take any steps closer to God and any steps into his plan for you if you're not willing to give up your way of doing things. It's just not going to happen. Because your patterns and your way of doing things do not fit with his plan. They fit with your plan. If your patterns fit with his plan, you would have had the same plan as God. But you didn't. You know, a lot of times we sit there and we go, man, I want God's plan. And and I'm trying to follow God, but God's just not there. He's just not working in my life. Yeah, he he doesn't have a plan. He must not really have a plan for my life because I don't see it. But here's the thing. God is there. God is working. And God does have a plan. You're just not seeing him because you're sitting there walking on the treadmill. God's up here waiting for you, but you're not taking any steps to him because you're stuck in your plans. Again, if your patterns match the patterns that God wants you to have in order to step into his plan, you could be God. But sometimes he's going to call you to give up your patterns. It's going to cost you. And it's going to be uncomfortable. You know, we, we have a tendency, just as humans, and even still as Christians, to want to do things for ourselves. We want to do things for ourselves. We want to do things that benefit us. But when we look at what God has called us to do in Matthew 28, that doesn't really line up. So right there, like, there's step one right there. Trying to do things for yourself. Not really. Those patterns, mm -mm, not going to match up with, with God's. Not with his plan. Not the patterns he wants you to have. Because what's he's, what's he's saying in Matthew 28? Go and make disciples. Well, you're not going to go and make disciples if you're just trying to serve yourself. I want you to look also at Matthew 16, verse 24. Here's what it says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. And we're going to focus here on the first part, and then we'll focus on the second half of that. In order for us to give up our selfish ways and to take up our cross daily, frankly, you are going to have to adapt a lifestyle of service. You are going to have to take on a lifestyle of service if you want to have the patterns in your life that match up with God's plan for you. It's service to God, and it's service to others. You've got to stop living your life for yourself. You have to live your life for God, and then you have to live your life for others. But let me tell you something, because here's where we're going to go, well, if I'm living my life for God, and I'm living my life for others, then how do I ever get anything? Well, guess what? Look around in this room. It, let, let's just... By comparison, look at this. 
If I'm trying to do things for myself, I got one person trying to do things for me. And you have one person trying to do things for yourself if we're living this selfish lifestyle. But if we're living our life for God and we're living our life for others, then guess what? I got all of y'all trying to do things for me, and you have everyone else in this room trying to do things for you. That seems a little nicer. I'm not a math expert, but that's a lot more people than just one person trying to do things for you. I want you to look at Mark chapter 12, 29 through 31. And, and here, we're going we're gonna to continue to expand on and continue to see this lifestyle of service that God has called us to have. So Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. It says, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. I see two things here. I see two commands. Love God, love others. You know what I don't see? Any commandment about loving yourself. I see a commandment on loving God and a commandment on loving others. But I don't see anything on loving yourself. Now, how are we supposed to love? And I think if if as disciples of Christ, we're supposed to be trying to follow Christ and trying to follow the way that he lived, man, we, again, look, Scripture, guys, Scripture's exciting because it all just works together. Because... Go look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Oh, how am I supposed to love? Right here. Here it is. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. How did God love? He served. Who did he serve? He didn't serve himself. He served you, and he served me. He came to serve us. That's how he loved. He loved through serving. If we are going to live a life committed to God, it's going to cost you first. It's going to cost you your plans. And then it's going to cost you your patterns and your way of doing things. But here's what else it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your pleasure. Being a disciple of Christ will cost you your pleasure. I want to continue looking at Matthew 16 here, where Jesus is saying, turn away from your selfish ways and take up your cross daily and follow me. You know, as people and Christians living in the 21st century, uh, and really Christians throughout the past centuries, we've equated the cross with salvation. But again, As we're reading scripture, we need to remember who Jesus is talking to and when he's talking. So Jesus, again, is talking to the Jews and to the people in the Roman Empire. And he hasn't gone to the cross yet. So right here where Jesus is talking, 
him going to the cross hasn't happened. So the cross does not equal salvation here because Jesus is still alive. He's still kicking it with his disciples. But here's why he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. To these, to the Jews, the cross was a symbol of a six-hour, brutal, torturing death. The cross, to the people that Jesus is talking to, symbolized a six-hour, humiliating, torturous, brutal death. A death where you got nailed to a cross, they broke your legs, and you still had to struggle to get a breath. And it didn't work. It was what you did to the worst of the worst criminals. But here's Jesus saying, take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus here is saying that if you want to be my disciple, you have to be willing to go through some discomfort. You have to be willing to face challenges. In in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus elaborates on this. He elaborates uh, on, on this discomfort. Matthew chapter 8, 18 through 20. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of the religious law said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to even lay his head. Jesus is saying, look, even the animals of this world have a place to sleep. But I don't even have a place where I can lay down and rest. Jesus is so unaccepted by culture that he has no place. And and, and so here we see that if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, we have to be willing to go through some discomfort and we have to be willing to face challenges. And let me just ask you a logical question. If culture wouldn't accept Jesus, why would we expect culture to accept us as followers of Jesus? You know, a lot of times when when we face challenges for being a follower of Christ, we're like, well, why didn't they accept me? I don't know, probably because you're a follower of Jesus and they hadn't accepted him for 2019 years. Like, why would we expect to be Accepted by culture as followers when they didn't even accept the person that we're following. It doesn't make sense. But Jesus, even Jesus, gave up his comfort. You know, we're, we're sitting here saying the cost of being a disciple, you have to give up your plans. You got to give up your, your patterns. And you got to give up your pleasure. You know, I I know you've all heard someone say, look, I wouldn't ask you to do anything that I didn't first do myself. Here's the thing is, Jesus gave up all three of these things. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. That wasn't his plan. That was God's plan. That was his father's plan. 
even so much so that in the garden the night before he was crucified, he said, Lord, if there is any other way. But you know what he ends up saying? He says, Father, let your will be done. Let your will be done. Not my own. Lord, I'm willing to sacrifice my plans. I'm willing to sacrifice the way that I might have done things. And I'm really willing to sacrifice my comfort. Because you know what, God? If your plan is for me to go to the cross for the sake of the world, it's going to be uncomfortable for me. And I will sacrifice my plan for your plan. I will sacrifice my patterns and my way of doing things to do things your way. And I will sacrifice my comfort and my pleasure to follow your plan and to follow you. Jesus makes it very clear that while we are disciples on earth, you will face trials and you will face suffering for his sake. But you know what? He already did it for you. He already did it for you. But while he makes it very clear that we're going to face trials and suffering, here's what else he makes clear. He makes it very, very clear that you will also be rewarded eternally in heaven. You will be rewarded for following Christ as a faithful disciple. I don't know about you, but... I'll take temporary discomfort. I'll take temporarily losing my plan. Because eventually my plan is going to be so much less than the plan that I'm going to experience from God. And let me tell you this. I've sacrificed my plan many a times in my 23 years of walking on this earth. My plan has not matched God's. And yes, it is really to have to sacrifice my plans and what I wanted. But every single, pers- every single time, 100% of the time, God's plan was so much better than anything I could have ever imagined. But in our minds, nothing is better than what we want. Nothing is better. Man, I'll, I'm willing to sacrifice my way of doing things so that I can walk in God's plan, so that I can even experience his plan. The discomfort that's going to come in the sacrifice of your plan, your patterns, and your pleasure, that discomfort, that temporary discomfort, is so much worth it. So much more worth it because you're going to be eternally rewarded. Your life on this earth is temporary. But the eternal life and the eternal reward that you'll receive in heaven is so much greater. So much greater. So I want to ask you a question. And I think I've asked this before. Is Christ worth sacrificing for? Is Christ worth sacrificing for? Is he worth it to you? Plain and simple. Is he worth it to you? Because 
If he's not worth it to you, you won't do any of it. Plain and simple, if he's not worth it, you won't sacrifice a thing. He found you, every single one of you, including myself, he found us worthy enough to die for you. Jesus was human. I want you to let that sink in. Jesus was human. Which means he had feelings just like us. I don't know about you, but if I knew that I had to go through a crucifixion to save those around me, I'd be terrified. I wouldn't want to go through that. I wouldn't want to go through it. Jesus knew the pain that he was about to endure. He knew the suffering that he was about to endure, but he did it anyways. And he did it because he found you worthy enough. Are you willing to sacrifice your plans? Are you willing to sacrifice your patterns? And are you willing to sacrifice your pleasure for him? That's the question. That's the question. Is he worth it? Is he worth it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for for this night. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you would challenge us. Lord, I pray that you would make us uncomfortable. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us to look at the way we are following you as disciples. Lord, I pray that you would change our perspective and our way of thinking. Lord, I pray that you would change our lifestyle. Lord, that we would adapt a lifestyle of service to you and of service to others, not service to ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength, Lord, to sacrifice our plans. Lord, Lord, we find so much hope in what we want and what we think is good. And Lord, when our plan doesn't match your plan, Lord, it, it can be devastating sometimes. And we can feel really hopeless. But Lord, I pray that you would speak truth to us about how good your plan really is. How much greater your plan really is. And Lord, give us the strength when we realize your plan, Lord, to lay down our patterns. Lord, to give up our way of doing things, to take on the way that you've called us to do things, that we would take on a life of service. And Lord, I pray that we would be willing to sacrifice our comfort and our pleasure, Lord, that we would step into your plan and be willing to follow you even when we're challenged, even when, when people, Lord, turn their back to us, make fun of us for what we believe. Lord, I pray simply that we would find you worth it, or that we would find you worthy enough to sacrifice for you. And Lord, we admit, Lord, any sacrifice for you is so small in comparison to the sacrifice that you made for us. And Lord, we are so grateful for that sacrifice. Lord, we are so grateful that you found us worthy enough 
to give your life. And so, Lord, we just pray that we would give up these small things for you. But I pray that you would use us as disciples. Lord, use us as your followers, Lord, to go and make disciples. Lord, teaching them to obey you. Sharing with them the hope and the good news of Christ. Lord, I pray tonight during small groups, Lord, that you would just bless our time. Lord, that you would open our minds and open our hearts, Lord. That your wisdom and your truth wouldn't just sit in our heads, Lord, but it would flow into our hearts and out into our lives. So, Lord, we thank you for this night. Lord, I thank you for each student here. Just the love that you have for every single one of them. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, everyone. This is Nathan Sell, the youth pastor at Destin United Methodist Church. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. My prayer is that the Lord would use this podcast as an opportunity to speak life into you. I hope all of you know the love that the Lord has for you and that you are experiencing His blessings each and every day. God bless you, and thank you for listening.